Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, get, get them there because we're going to be ba- basically hanging out there the whole morning. Uh, and, and really, last week was a difficult topic that we tackled. If you didn't catch that, I encourage you to go back and make a commitment that you're going to catch every single one of these messages um, through podcasts, through video, whatever you've got to do. In fact, I had people sending me pictures throughout the week of showing uh, the message happening on their TV at their house saying, hey, we, we missed it, but we're getting the replay. And that's awesome. You know, that's, it's just great. Uh, so the next uh, few weeks, we're dealing with some interesting topics. And since the Bible is not afraid to talk about difficult topics, we're not going to be afraid to talk about difficult topics as the church. And so uh, that's what we're going to be wrestling with today. You'll find out that today's a little bit different. If you read how many of you guys read ahead and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6? All right. So several of you guys did, and you're kind of wondering, okay, where are we going to go this morning? Uh, I've really felt led to go in this particular direction, and it may uh, be an interesting topic that may be one of the unique sermons that you've heard on this, uh, I believe. When I say the word or the, the letters P90X, does that mean anything to anybody? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about when I just said, just hold up your hand. Wow, they have done incredible marketing. I mean, that everybody, how many of you guys have ever participated in P90X? All right, for those of you guys who do not know, P90X is like this exercise DVD video thing uh, that, that they put out, and it's like an hour long of like extreme, uh, different types of exercises, cardio stuff, and they have all these different CDs, and, and it's a whole program and stuff, and so, Somebody bootlegged me a copy. I'll just be, I'll just own it. Uh, Somebody bootlegged me a copy. And so I just thought I would try it. And so, you know, I'm doing the cardio stuff and man, it is rough. How many of you guys have ever had, have you, has anybody ever made it through all of it? Like doing every part of it? You, no one, no one person. All right. Uh, That it is difficult. And so I'm sitting there trying to do these exercises and uh, you know, one of them is like some sort of yoga pose thing. And it's like, just like 45 minutes of like posing. And I thought, well, this is going to be a day off. You know, we'll just sit here and just do these poses. I tell you what, there are beads. I'm like sweating great drops of blood like Jesus in the garden. I'm just holding this pose going, how in the world is this causing this much turmoil in my body? And so uh, then they also have this one uh, that's an ab workout. Now, this ab workout, this video is not an hour long. It's not 45 minutes. It's only 15 minutes long. And so I'm sitting there thinking, 15 minutes. I can do anything for 15 minutes, right? I mean, it's just 15 minutes. And so I familiarized myself with this program and uh, with this particular DVD. So this past week, it had been a long time since I had done any of these things. And I thought, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit chubby this week. I ate too much food. And so it's time to work on the abs a little bit. And because uh, my abs have turned into just having one ab and uh, that's not good. And so I decided, let's do this. So my wife and I, we decided to do this thing. And, you know, we're getting in and we're just, I mean, we're just sweating like crazy. And it's like, I'm like, man, when it's only been two minutes. You know, we still have 13 minutes left. We go through this whole thing and are basically, you feel like you're dying. You know, you feel like that's what it feels like to pass on to the other side is happening in this 15 minutes. And so you wake up the next day. I woke up the next morning and it, I could not move. I mean, every 
nerve ending in my body somehow was experiencing the P90X ab workout all at the same time. So if I breathed, it would just be like, I mean, I couldn't breathe. If I sneezed, I would probably, that would be it. I would probably pass out. It would just be it. And so uh, what I started to do over the next couple days is I just felt bad. I felt like very sore all the time. I felt like I couldn't hardly move. And so I just started to really just kind of eat a bunch of junk food. And so (laughs) trying to comfort myself, And I basically canceled out any type of workout that I did by trying to bring comfort food in it. And so uh, I share that uh, today to ask a really, really, it's a serious question. Uh, Is there any value in how we treat our bodies, not just in this life, but beyond this life? Is there any value in what we do with our bodies? You know, I know for some people, they end up making an idol out of trying to take care of their body and trying to weight lift and, you know, the the mirror's their best friend or whatever. But I'm I'm just asking, is there any value, uh, any purpose to take care of this earth suit, as maybe some of you have heard it called? Is there any value, not just for the here and now, of course we know there's value for the here and now, is there any value for beyond the here and now? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 6, excuse me, verse 1, uh, if, if uh, or I'll just warn you, we're going to be jumping all around here, jumping around quite a bit. So here it goes. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I'm, I'm starting off in 2 Corinthians, not to confuse you, okay? Uh, I want to address something that Paul addressed in the next letter, but that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to talk about. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, we're talking about our bodies, Uh, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, if our bodies are temporary, why does it matter in the end? If our body is just a temporary earth suit or a tent, then why does it matter in the end? And I think we end up putting a lot of emphasis on this idea that Paul talked about here about our bodies being a tent. And I think the emphasis is uh, actually misplaced and misses the point of the fullness of what Paul taught on the subject of our body. And so I'm going to talk to you today about our bodies. I know it's going to sound weird, but I, I believe we need to have a proper uh, theology of our physical bodies. We need to have a proper understanding of God's purposes for that. And uh, I'm going to make the case today that what we do with our physical bodies, it does matter not just here, but it matters for eternity. Okay? What, what we do with our bodies matters not just for the here and now, but it actually matters for eternity. And we're going to wrestle with this topic today by attempting to answer a couple questions. And so the first question I want to wrestle with is this. Why do our bodies matter? Why do our bodies matter? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right in the middle, verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so it lists off a bunch of activities and actions that we do in our body, and it says that those who participate in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it, it, it's a really tough scripture to wrestle with. You know, in ancient times, they used to believe, and I say in ancient times, used to believe, it's still prevalent today, but they would believe that there was a disconnect between our bodies and our souls. Now, 
I'm, just stick with me because I've got a lot of ground to unfold here, okay? So there was a disconnect. So that it was so disconnected that what you did in each area didn't affect the other area. And so really what they would do is some, one group would take the idea of, you know, it really doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. What really matters is the soul. And so they would feed the soul. They would feed the, inter, the intellect. They would, they would uh, be so focused on intellectualism and, and uh, all of these different things because they thought the body didn't matter. And so another group of people took it the other way and said, well, if that's true, if they are that disconnected and if they're that separated, then what we do in our bodies doesn't matter for eternity, then let's do whatever we want with our bodies because they are so disconnected. And so they would live with an anything goes type mentality because they really believed that the body and the soul and the spirit were so separated that one did not affect the other and, and did not have any bearing on the other. And so that's, that's the way a lot of people thought. Now, uh, I think that as we go into church world, sometimes we can have that kind of disconnect between body, soul, and spirit too. Now, we do believe that, uh, as it said, many guys may have heard this, that I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. We are body, soul, spirit. We are triune beings, okay? So we are separated in that sense. But sometimes I believe we undervalue the interconnectivity between our body, soul, and spirit. And we disconnect them so much, not so we could get away with sin, but it begins to eventually lead our thought process there. And so uh, Paul, all throughout this book of 1 Corinthians, he's trying to put the body, soul, and spirit back together as one thing. So you can see he talks about it here as we'll get into today. <clears throat> you can see that he talks about it when it comes to the, the church being the body of Christ. He's connecting back this idea of body, soul, and spirit <clears throat> being together. And then also at the very end when he talks about the resurrection of the body. And so all of these things is, is Paul putting back th together this idea that they're not disconnected like you think that they are. And so uh, I, I want to answer that question, what, why does our body matter, in a couple different ways. And the first thing that we need to wrestle with is this. And this is why our bodies matter, okay? If you think that, our, well, why does this matter? Here, let me give you a couple reasons why our bodies matter. Not just here, but for uh, later, too. And the first idea is this, that Jesus came in a body and left in a body. What do you think about this? <clears throat> Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, he came into this earth with a human body, God in the flesh. He came in a body. Now I think that what, where we start to disconnect things in our thinking so many, so many times when we, we extremely disconnect body, soul, spirit is that we somehow believe that Jesus just kind of left without a body. But that's not what happened, is it? Jesus, when they went to the tomb, the tomb was what? Empty, why? Because Jesus took his body with him. Now, it was a glorified body, but nonetheless, the body was gone. Jesus came in a body, left in a body, and here's something we need to catch and that's, that's really important for us to understand. And so will we as believers. So will we as believers. So that's what it means to uh, believe in the resurrection, by the way. We believe in the resurrection, but we act as if it's just our spirit that's going to be gone. 
And, and that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, it seems kind of out of place that Paul jumps in here in the midst of talking about all these sins and who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God, that he says this. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. What's he doing right there? He's connecting the idea of body, soul, spirit. And he says, it's all one thing. And he says, by the way, you are going to actually in one point, one day as a believer, your body is going to be resurrected. You came in a body and as a believer, you're going to leave with the body someday. Now I know there's, there's a gap in between, but there will be a, re, a resurrection of the body. So in, in ancient times, again, they believed that Death was simply a releasing of your immortal spirit or soul from your mortal body and that you just lived as a spirit from there on out. And that's the way. And so Paul is countering that argument. Now, I'm trying to counter that argument in us as a church because I think so many times we think that that is the end. That is not the end. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but that's not the end of the story. Is anybody following me? I know that to me, this is very basic, but I think that sometimes we, we skip over that because we just think about heaven and think about all that. But there will be a day when you, if you believe in the resurrection as a believer, that your body will matter. This one, it will be glorified, but it will matter. Okay. And so that's why we believe in the resurrection. Our bodies will be glorified and raised. Now, the second reason why our bodies matter is, is because of this. And this, maybe you've never thought about this before, but Jesus didn't just come to save our soul. He also came to save our bodies. He came to save not just our spirit or our soul, but he came to save the whole being. Again, that's why we talk about and believe in the resurrection is because we believe in that. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. This is the very end of the chapter. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. See, Jesus didn't come just to save your soul, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God where? In your body. He bought, he purchased the price not just for our spirit or our soul, but also for our bodies. Now, uh, when he talks about a tent, you know, here he talks about our bodies being a temple. In 2 Corinthians, he talked about it being a tent. So the question is, which one is it? Is it a tent or a temple? And I think so many times we think of our bodies being a tent and we think of it as disposable or something that can be thrown away or something that's temporary, when in fact that wasn't Paul's point at all. His point was not that our bodies are a tent and it's disposable and can be thrown away. It was that the tent will one day be turned into a temple. That what, what looks temporary and can be destroyed will be glorified and resurrected and will be permanent because temples are permanent, okay? Temples are a solid building. It's, it's something very, very solid. It's not something that can just be knocked over. So our bodies are not supposed to be discarded and devalued. In fact, they are very sacred and they bear the imprint of God's image on them. So whatever God purchases, okay, he says he bought us with a price. Whatever God purchases is sacred because God owns it. God doesn't just own our spirit or our soul or doesn't want to just transform our soul. He purchased our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. So our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matters, okay? So that leads us to the next question in, in wrestling with this, okay? Here's the next question. If my body matters, then what is the purpose of my body? 
What's the purpose for my body? What's God's plan for my body? And we're going to answer that by encountering and wrestling with two objections that the Corinthian church had to Paul's teaching. And they're found right here in this chapter. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, this is a very interesting and a dense part of Scripture right here. There's a lot going on. You're saying, well, what's going on in this Scripture? You'll, you'll notice here in these, these Scriptures here that, that there are a couple phrases that are actually in quotations. They're in quotations not because Paul is quoting the Bible, but because Paul is actually quoting something that was very familiar to them in the city of Corinth. These, these two phrases that he has in quotations were actually slogans and sayings that were, were common in the city of Corinth at the time. So one of the phrases was, hey, all things are lawful. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do. It, there's no laws against what we're doing. There's complete freedom here in Corinth. And if, if you've been tracking along with the city of Corinth and what we've talked about up to this point, they were very promiscuous, very sexual, very adulterous, uh, very uh, perverted, uh, very, all these different things. And their motto was, all things are, uh, all things are lawful, okay? So the, the two popular sayings, all things are lawful, and food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. So this was a slogan and a phrase that was known in the city of Corinth. And if you think about phrases and slogans, we can think about some in our day. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard the, the slogan for a particular city, I heart New York, right? That's a slogan for the city. Uh, there's another one I just read about this week, and it's Strong Maine, and it's, their slogan is that they are the toothpick capital of the world. That's what they're known for. If you got to be known for something, it's better than, the last, uh, than this other one that I found in, in Gas, Kansas. This is real, and their slogan is, don't pass gas, stop and enjoy it. <laughs> you don't have a lot to work with there, so they're doing what they can. We've all heard of this one, Las Vegas, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And there, this was similar to a slogan that was happening in Corinth. This was their city slogan. All things are lawful. Hey, and they might have put it a little bit different. Let me give you a translation to how this slogan works itself out in common thought in our day and how they would have taken Let me just repackage this for our day. And here's how I'd repackage the translation for our day. As long as I don't hurt anyone else, it doesn't matter what I do. How many of you guys have heard something similar to that? As long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's okay. All things are lawful. And so what they were saying is there are no laws against what I'm doing because I'm not hurting anybody. And so there's no law against it. And so that must mean it's okay. And, and so this was the popular slogan of the day. And it's popular thought in our day. And in our day, it starts early. I read some stats this week uh, that says this, that more than half of boys and nearly a third of girls see their first pornographic images before 13. Starts early. I heard this other stat. It's a 2010 survey that 20% 20, 20 of 16-year-olds and 30% of 17-year-olds had received a sext or a sexually explicit text. Listen, that was 2010. 
We're seven years beyond that where technology has, has increased enormously. I guarantee you that number is much, much higher than what they just said. It starts early with this idea of as long as you're not hurting anybody, as long as it's, you're not causing anyone harm, it's okay, it's permissible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. So Paul begins to counter that. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Here it is, that your bodies members of Christ. It's not just your spirit and your soul. He's saying your bodies are actually members of Christ. He's not using a metaphor here. He's actually saying this. Shall then I take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. What's he talking about here? Like, why are we talking about prostitutes all of a sudden? Well, if, again, if, you under, if you've been following with the, ser- with the series up to this point, you'll understand that in this city, there was a temple uh, worshiping the goddess of Aphrodite that was at the top of this hill. And as a part of their worship, they had a thousand female prostitutes that you would go in and have sex with the, the prostitutes as part of your worship. And so Paul is using something very well known in their culture and saying, listen, when you go to worship in this other temple and join yourself with the prostitute, how can you do that? What you are doing is you're turning the temple of God into the temple of Aphrodite. Whenever you take your body, which is a temple, and you begin to house in it things that are anti-God, then it is now shifted where it's being used in a way that it was not purchased for. And so people say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just between two people or what? Come on. There is much pain in living uh, in, in promiscuity outside of God's plan. There's brokenness. Here he mentions, he says, the two shall become one flesh. Why? Because when two people have sex, there's something that happens that the Bible says. It's, it's not just the marriage ceremony that he was talking about that the two shall become one right? It wasn't just the wedding. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about something happens that you can't untie. You can't undo. And it does, it's not just physical, but there's actually something uh, of your soul that gets connected to another person and even spiritually. And so Paul begins to address it. He says, this is hurting. This is a problem. That's why God's design is for sex to be in marriage, in the covenant of marriage. Why is that? It's not so that God can have a bunch of rules and make it uncomfortable for those on the, on the outside of marriage or so that he can punish those in some way. No, it's because God understands the power that happens in a sexual relationship like that. And he understands that it connects spirit, soul, and body. And the best place for that to happen is in the covenant of marriage where there's protection, safety, forgiveness, all of those things for eternity. That's why. Because God is a loving God. He's not a hateful God. He doesn't want us to not have fun. He knows that there's pain when we don't do things God's way. And so that's what he's addressing right here. Now, because we are body, soul, spirit, then sexual things, which Paul talks a lot about here, it affects all three areas. It's not just our body, it's our soul and our spirit. It gets affected in some way, shape, or form. And and what the picture that's being painted here is that God in his wisdom, and he's such a covenant God that he made a covenant with his people, but he also, the only other covenant is the covenant of marriage. And so he designed things in such a way that when uh, two married people have sexual relationship, that it's uniting between those two people, body, soul, and spirit in one, one moment. 
because that's how God designed it. And he set it up that way. There's something much more, listen, we don't just act with the soulish part of ourselves. We don't just act with the body part of ourselves. We don't just act with the spiritual part of ourselves. Whenever we take actions or we do anything, we act with our whole self. It affects it all. That's what Paul is saying. So you can't just say, well, I'm following Jesus in my spirit and then go out and live in a way that is like uh, housing the temple of Aphrodite on the other side of that. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then he says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, there's a lot of things that Paul talks about resisting and warns against, but this one, he's just like, just, you better run. <laughs> you better take off. He's probably reminded of Joseph in, the, in Potiphar's house, how he just takes off and he just runs away from temptation. There's other places where it says flee sexual immorality. He's, he's basically just saying, you think you can stand up against this one and put yourself in a place of temptation and you're going to be able to withstand it? He says, no, you just got to get out of there. You're not going to be strong enough in your flesh or in your own strength, we could say, to be able to resist this. You need to remove yourself from the situation. He says, every other sin is a, per a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. W what does that mean? Well, well one take on that is, is simply this, that uh, since we are sacred temples with God's image on it, every other time we say all sins are not equal. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, all sin is sin, and all sin is, is, is something that Jesus died for, but not all sins are equal in that sense. They have different varying consequences, and one of the reasons why this is different is because you're actually sinning into your own self. You're actually affecting the temple of God that houses God, okay? That's the imagery he's painting here, and he says it's different than other things. It's important. Uh, it, you're sinning against your own body, and so what the world does is the world begins to ask wrong questions about our body and how we use our body, and so since they ask wrong questions, they get wrong solutions. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 again. Do you not know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, a lot of the times the world will ask questions, well, what can I get away with? Or how can I have the most pleasure? That's the wrong question. The question is, what is the purpose of my body? And as a believer, okay, the believers have a different um, sexual ethic, if you will, or, or a way that we believe about sex that's important that, that the world doesn't have, okay? So uh, as a believer, we need to be asking the question about our body in a lot of ways, what's the purpose? The purpose is found right here in this scripture. And it says, glorify God. Bring glory to God in your body. That is the purpose. That's the right question. How can I glorify God in my body? Now, let me, let me give you just an illustration I thought about. This is our church building, okay? Sometimes this might be called, in ancient times, this could be called a temple. This could be a place of worship. That's what a temple was, okay? It was a place of worship. So this is our temple or our place of worship. Now, what do we do here on Sunday mornings? We come in here, we worship together, we fellowship together, we drink good coffee together, we hang out, we listen to the word together, we encourage one another, we, we preach the gospel, uh, we share about the love of Jesus, we do all of these things, because why? That's the purpose of this place. The purpose of this place is to do those things, is to what we could say it in shorthand, we could say to glorify God. That's what we're doing here. We come together in this place. This building is dedicated to glorify God. Now, what if 
We did this on Sundays, and we do all day Sunday. We'll be here clear through Sunday night, uh, late tonight. If you want to come hang out with us again tonight, we'll be doing this all day. Now, what if tomorrow morning we wake up and we come in here and, you know, we, well, we glorified God yesterday. Let's, uh, let's run a crime ring out of here on Mondays. Let's just kind of run, run some crime, you know, it's like maybe, uh, maybe on Tuesdays we'll do gambling, okay? We'll just run gambling. Uh, Wednesdays will be a strip club. We'll do that on Wednesdays. Uh, let's see, uh, we, we could just, you know, come up with all sorts of different things that we begin to use this place for, uh, you know, maybe a bar the next day or something. And, and so, uh, don't you know that that wouldn't make any sense, wouldn't it? If we as the church, the people of God, with this building that's been dedicated to glorify God, the next day, if all of a sudden you walk in here and you're like, wow, what's the mafia doing in here? Oh, it's okay. It's what we use it for on Mondays. Is anybody getting a little bit of picture here this morning? Because sometimes this is the way we treat our temple. We come in and we glorify God on Sunday. But then the next day, we've opened it up. And Paul, at an extreme way, is saying, you know, if you go and participate in some other form of worship, which is what some of them were tempted to do, then now you've turned it into something completely different. You, you've turned it into, it's hard for, don't you know if, if we did Wednesdays and, and it was strip club Wednesday here at Journey Church, that'll be a sound bite that they'll put online somewhere. If we did that at Journey Church, it would be very hard to have a vacation Bible school come in on that day. It'd be very hard for God to work in that environment. Now listen, it's very hard for God to work in our temple if we're using it for purposes that don't glorify God. It's hard for God to break through that. It's not that he can't. It's that when we've decided that this is no longer the temple of God, or we're not going to use it for the purposes of the temple of God, then we've missed the point of what our body is for. You know, God doesn't live in buildings. He lives in bodies. I don't know if that's a revelation to you or not, but God doesn't live in buildings. He lives in bodies, and he lives in this building. So what we do with our bodies matters. Now, one of the things that Paul talked about, he said, all things are lawful. And he was just quoting that quote back to them. But then he adds something to the end of that. And he, he gives his response. He says, yeah, all things are lawful to you, but are all things helpful? Are all things prosperous? Are all things beneficial? So how do we know the difference between what we can do with our bodies and what we should do with our bodies? How do we know what we can do with our life, what's helpful and what's not helpful? With our life. I'll give you two quick things. They're going to seem very sim simplistic, but I believe if you put this filter on there, it filters it out. It's going to be very, very simple. The first thing is this. You've got to ask yourself the question, does it contradict God's word? That should be the starting point for it all. Does it contradict God's word? Is what I'm wanting to do with my body, my life, my decision, my business, does it contradict God's word? Does it contradict the principles of God's word, the, the warnings of God's word, the, the promises in God's word? The second filter that you run it through then is this. Does it have the, the potential to produce life or death? So when you look at what that is, that activity or that, that whatever it is, does it have the potential to produce life or death? So that's why when we, we can bring that template over to marriage, we can see this, that, that when, two, when a man and a woman come together, does it have the potential to produce life? Yes. Are there other scenarios that that wouldn't be the case in today's society? Yes. That's why God is between a man and a woman. 
because it has the potential to produce life. Now, the other filter is, does it contradict the word of God? That's how come you, you can't say, well, a man and a woman, but we're not married, so it still has the potential to produce life. No, because that contradicts the word of God's teaching on covenant of marriage. Now, you can apply this to any area of your life. Does it contradict the word of God? Does that have the potential to produce life inside me, the life of God? And that'll tell you the difference between what you can do and what you should do. That, that was good right there if you didn't know. Okay, just thought that you'd let you know. All right. So here's the second phrase, and let's wrap this up. Here's the second phrase, and it was this. Food is good for the stomach and the stomach for food. What does that mean? It means, well, I have a stomach, and food is there. Food is there to fill my stomach, so it must be what it's made for. So the translation for today would be, if it feels good, it must be right. How can you deny the urges and the desires? Evidently, if I have those desires, it must be what I'm designed for. Has anybody heard a line of thinking like that in culture today? And that, that's because that, that's the logic. That's the same thing. This was the, a saying in, in Corinth that, hey, you've got a stomach. There's food. It must be to put it in. Now, Paul's saying that's true, but that's not the whole picture that's going on. You can't just apply that to every type of thinking. And so a lot of people do that. They say, that's how I'm designed. Basically, if I have this desire, that must be what I'm made for. And since I have sexual desires for this or that, then I must have been made for that. Do not be deceived is one of Paul's favorite warnings. <laughs> Why? Because there's a temptation to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Desires and sincerity are not enough, are not enough to determine right and wrong. Just because you have a desire, and even if it's a sincere desire, it doesn't mean that that's enough to determine what's right and wrong, and yet that's the, the, the common uh, way that we think about that in the world. And I'm not saying the world, if you've got to go back and, and listen to last week's message, what I'm talking about is here in the church. We still apply this. Why? Because there have been all sorts of people who uh, did horrible things all throughout history, and they desired to do them, and they were very sincere when they committed atrocities, but it, atrocities, it, it was not right, and it did not make it right just because they had a desire and because they were genuine in their desire. So that is not the litmus test for what we get to act upon or how we're made. And so that the, the real question that we need to be asking as believers, okay, as believers, we need to ask this question. And it's a serious question. It may seem simplistic, but it's a serious question. Who owns your body? Who owns your body? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's one of my favorite scriptures. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we come into Christ, we lay down our life. Christ becomes our life. It's like, it's like we turn over the keys. Like if, if you had a key ring of everything that represented your house, your possessions, your relationships, your marriage, everything on a key ring, whenever you get saved, you turn that over to Jesus. And now you live for him. So the owner 
gets to determine the use. I have tools. I get to determine how I use them, even if I want to use them in a wrong way. You know, sometimes I'll take a, a hammer like my father used to do and try to fix a car. You know, that's, I've, I own the hammer so I can use it that way. And so many times we're trying to tell God how to use us or how we can use our bodies when in fact God is the owner. He owns our body. He bought us with a price. It's God's domain. He owns it. We've been bought with a price. Everything that has to do with our spirit, soul, and body are God's jurisdiction now. They're not separated. They're all God's. In fact, if we go clear back up to the very front of the, of the uh, chapter, you, you, maybe some of you guys have read this and you're like, well, how does this tie in? Let me give you one way. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, I'll read it and then it gives you some comment, comments as we wrap up. It, it starts off the chapter and he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, Does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Now, let me just pause there and address uh, some things because context is so important. So last week, we spent a a lot of time talking about how our job is not to judge the world, right? Our job is not to judge the world. We, We are to let that be God's job. So what's Paul talking about here? If you look at some other translations, what it actually says is someday you will judge the world. What he's talking about is in the end, we will reign and rule with God. That's where he talks about angels and all these sorts of things. So context, zoom out. That's important. I just want to make note of that. He's talking about someday you are going to be a part of reigning and ruling with God. Why are you going into courts and allowing people outside of the kingdom of God, outside of God's ways of thinking, decide what happens with God's things? And yet that's what you're doing when you're going to court and you're taking it to sexual, sexual uh, things, secular things, and letting them decide. He's like, that's not even, that's not even what it's, it doesn't even make sense because you are gods. Okay, let's keep going. It says, do you not know that we'll judge angels? How much more than things pertaining, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you who's wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong, rather suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? It says one day you're going to judge the world and here you are taking things to to the world, to be the judge and how you deal with things that are God's? It's like, that doesn't even make sense. Why take something that is God's domain and allow the world to tell you how to use it? When it comes to our bodies and our life, why do we take something that's God's domain and let the world tell us how to use it? See, we are bought with a price. And when we live in the wrong environment, when we allow worldly thinking like Corinth was struggling with, and those they had adopted the city slogan in their church. And when you adopt the environment of the world into the church, then wrong things happen. You go to wrong things for your solutions. Let me close up with this story. There was a uh, study, or there was a commercial done, I think it was in the uh, early 80s or 70s or something. I heard about this this week. Uh, Some of you guys may remember it. But it was basically a commercial that was pretty graphic. It was a drug commercial, anti-drug commercial. And basically, it was a picture of this rat, not a picture, but a video of this rat in this small little cage. And in the cage, there were two different sources of liquids. One was pure water. The other one was water laced with some sort of drug. 
And so what it showed was the rat going to try some of the water and try some of the water laced with drugs. And eventually it got hooked on the drug. And so it does a time-lapse thing where over time, several days, that the, the rat kept going back and back and back to the drug water over and over again until finally it died. And the commercial said, drugs kill. And that was, that was kind of how it went. Well, there was a, a researcher, a, a Canadian researcher, who was wondering about that. And he was wondering, like, like, what's the, like, is that the way it is just every time? Or what, what's the real deal about that? And so what he did is he decided that he was going to test that and do a different kind of study. And so instead of having a little cage with a rat with two choices in there, he built a rat park. <laughs> he built it 200 times the size of the cage. He put trees in there and, and hills and fun things and, and, and rat toys, whatever toys that rats like to play with and stuff. And he put families of rats and he put a whole community happening in this, this place, this rat park that was 200 times bigger than the other place. And then he, he did this, so he built this whole thing. It, you know, it was a big old deal. And he provided the same two options for liquids. He provided the water that was pure water. And then right beside it, he provided the drug-laced water. And so some of the, the rats would try both of them. But as the study bore out, the rats surprisingly didn't get addicted to the drug water. They didn't drink it at all. They only drank the pure water. And he came to the conclusion that if you isolate a rat and give him two options, what he has to do because of his environment is not good, he has to medicate the pain of isolation and loneliness. But whenever you expand that out and there's community and there's, there's freedom and there's enjoyment, when they had an option that they chose to not medicate their life. What does that have to do with us? Well, I believe that it has a lot to do with us because so many of us think that the kingdom of God is the little cage and it's restrictive. When in fact, that's what the world does to us. Sin puts us in a cage. And because we have the pain of sin, we end up having to medicate. And we go to the wrong solutions because we're asking the wrong questions. The kingdom of God is actually freedom, life, joy, peace. And whenever you start to live by the kingdom culture and by the kingdom of God, pretty soon you don't have to medicate the pain. You don't have to go after those things in the same way. Whenever you change your environment, whenever you find the kingdom purpose for why you were created, then you don't have to go to the medication for that. What's the purpose for our body? It's to glorify God. Whenever we find out why we were made, we don't have to medicate. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to go to those wrong things when we start living for the glory of God in our bodies. I know this is kind of a strange message, like talking about bodies today. Here's the good news. We're going to have the worship team come back up. We don't have cages, do we? We don't have cages that we're in. Visible cages. I believe that a lot of people are trapped in invisible cages that maybe no one else can see. And here's, here's the good news today. The good news is that if you've been trapped in some wrong way, wrong thinking, wrong slogan, that there is freedom in Christ. There's, there's a, you don't have to live in that cage anymore. That there's a place, a kingdom that you can live in where you will experience the fullness of God, the fullness of life. You'll experience what you were made for. 
You know, there's, a, there's a, that scripture, see if I can turn to it real quick. The 1 Corinthians, it's right there, we just read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, I believe. It says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He lists off all these things, these people who are in pain and cages and all this stuff. And he says, and such were some of you. Listen, today I want you to know the good news about Jesus Christ is you can go from I am to I was. You can go from I am today. You might look at your life and you say, well, I am all those things. You know what? When you walk out of here, you can say, I was. I was. And so that's what I'm going to invite some of you to just have a moment with God and just ask God, is there anything in my life right now? Maybe a better way to put it is, God, how can I glorify you in my body, soul, and spirit today? How can I glorify you? What does that look like for me today? Would you guys stand up with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and goodness, that even, even if we've been, we found ourselves in all of those other pain and all of those sins, the Lord, it's your grace that can come and wash us white as snow, wash us, make us brand new, so that that could be written over our lives today. And such were some of you. Lord, we, we lean into that grace today. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who maybe hasn't experienced that grace, who haven't been walking with Jesus, Lord, I pray right now, they would just surrender their heart right now. Your word says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we'll be saved. Lord, I pray for those right now who maybe need to make that step. Lord, right there, if that's you, just right there where you're at, you can just confess right there and just say, Lord, I I need you. I want to follow you. And you can just make that commitment right there where you stand. And for others of you, I know this has been a little bit of a different type of message. Ask that question to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, how can I glorify you today? How can I glorify the Father today? How can my life, my body, my soul, my spirit glorify you today? Lord, we want to honor you, not just in part of our life, not just in certain days of our life, but every single day, every single part. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.